A federal judge declines to stay the assault weapons ban ahead of the January 1st registration deadline. And I'll talk with Crane's reporters Danny Ecker and Rachel Herzog for a look back at 2023 in the commercial real estate realm and a look to the year ahead. Thompson Center is huge. I mean, you mentioned, Amy, that, you know, the the casino, will we see some steps uh, that Bally's takes toward actually building this new hotel and casino entertainment complex along the river? I do think another thing to watch in 2024 is these suburban mall redevelopments that are happening, um, just with the owners of those properties trying to kind of breathe new life into those with bringing in a new tenant mix. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, December 27th. Are you sick of not being your bank's top priority? We are too. At Wintrust, we take a different approach to banking. We're proud to be your one true banking partner focused on your unique financial goals that's right in your backyard. Whether you're opening your first account, buying a home, planning for the future, or starting a business, we have tailored solutions to get you there. Stop settling and start experiencing a better way to bank at Wintrust.com. Wintrust, different approach, better results. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial. Financial Corporation Banks, member FDIC. I'm joined by Crane's reporters, Danny Ecker and Rachel Herzog, here to talk about the year of commercial real estate. I mean, how would you characterize this year? How would you characterize 2023? I feel like maybe office space is probably one of the big stories and kind of the, the changing dynamics of, of office space, given uh, the adaptation to remote work, right? Um, but but when you think back over the year, what stories pop up for the two of you? Uh, it, this has been a tough year for for anyone in commercial real estate. I mean, you know, there's there's different dynamics as you break down, whether it's office or retail or hotel or you know, multifamily, industrial. I mean, it's 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 a different story, really. But the one thing that's hanging over everybody is that interest rates have gone up, yeah. and that's been a steady thing now for a while. So that's kind of been the the overarching thing that has uh, no one's been able to really escape. You know, if you've got a loan coming due and properties aren't worth what they were before, and banks are not lending as 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 much as they were before. That's a recipe for a pretty bad situation, a lot of distress, a lot of foreclosures, and that's what we saw. And overall, I would say 2023 for most people in commercial real estate has just been a year to forget. It's been <laughs> a year they're going to be happy to say goodbye to. I feel like you've said that the last couple of years. Though. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <year> and, and, <laughs> and there's been, you know, some nice bright spots, of course, that we can get into, but, you know, for over the last few years, but for, for really for everybody this year, it's just been not as good as it was and people are kind of wondering okay when's that gonna when's that gonna turn around yeah for sure rachel how about you what stands out about this year yeah i think what i'd add to that is that the distress has really spilled over from the office market that just really saw a decimation in values downtown due to you know no one going to work downtown the lack of foot traffic um that distress has kind of spilled over into the retail and apartment building sales environment where even though People still want to live downtown, like rent growth is pretty good. Um, some of those buildings are just not trading or not trading for the prices that investors would like to see. So it has been interesting to see how it impacts those different sectors. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the bright spots of the year. You know, is that has that been in the the warehousing and logistics space? I feel like that was kind of the story earlier in the pandemic. Has that held as a bright spot or, or how has that shifted? 
Yeah, relatively speaking, you know, industrial real estate is still the area where there's some positive stories, you know, new development and property sales and leasing happening. You know, I was thinking back to when we did a conversation looking ahead, it was at the end of 2022, a year ago, looking ahead to this year, and we were talking about how 2022 was the year where there wasn't as much talk about COVID and the impact of COVID. There was sort of this like mental moving on thing, even though the pandemic was still going at that point. And it was just starting really at that point to say, okay, now it's this economic wave. You know, it's it's the demand. It's 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 you know a little bit of economic uncertainty. What's going to happen as the pandemic fallout kind of lingers? Will we see a pullback in demand for all sorts of real estate? And uh, that's played out, I think, in 2023, where certainly if you look at the industrial space, where there was you know record low vacancy heading into the year, and developers you know couldn't build these warehouses fast enough because there's so many companies trying to revamp their supply chains and. They wanted space to store and distribute goods that we were buying on Amazon and buying elsewhere online. And that demand for that from companies has started to, to come down this year. And that, I think, has been kind of the concerning factor for industrial real estate. But overall, it's still vacancy just above 5% and still a lot more supply to come. And so some concerns that there might be some overbuilding happening. But, but I think when you look across the board, um, and Rachel can speak to kind of, I think, the apartments, too. I mean, warehouses and apartments, those are the areas where, I mean, yes, like we said, interest rates have been a factor, but there's still strong demand, and those are really important fundamentals. Yeah, talk to me about apartments. That was my very next question. Yeah, like I was saying, um, I think last year really showed that people do want to live downtown, even if they aren't going there for work as much. Tenants were paying record high rates for top-tier apartments downtown. Um, I think Chicago was one of the top metro areas in the nation for rent growth. Um, so even though that did cool down a little bit in the third quarter, overall it was still pretty strong. Um, another thing that is coming up in the next year or in the next year or two is that um, supply is expected to drop off so much because of what we've been talking about with high interest rates, high construction costs. Um, there's not expected to be a lot of new apartments being built in 2025. So that makes um, investors see a big downtown Chicago apartment building as a good investment right now because those rent spikes are down the line in the future. And what about development projects? I feel like we talked so much for a while there about the 78 and, and Lincoln Yards and all these mega developments. And I feel like that's been a little bit quieter conversation this year. Is that about interest rates? Is that about changing, uh, you know, changing leadership at City Hall? Is that, what is that about? All of the above. I think that yeah. uh, the interest rate environment and the just general cautiousness that we're seeing from especially the big, deep-pocketed institutional investors, the insurance companies, the, you know, pension funds, they're a little more maybe reticent about Chicago commercial real estate investment and commercial real estate investment overall, but but maybe Chicago seeing a little bit more of that. So, you know, you look at Lincoln Yards and the 78 uh, and some of the challenges they face. They're just the same challenges a lot of others face, but on a much larger scale. You know, certainly, and we've reported a lot this year about Lincoln Yards and the and the uh, issues that Sterling Bay has had with just trying to get f new financial partners involved. And, you know, it's not easy to be carrying, you know, holding a, a bunch of very valuable uh, land for, for a long period of time that you want to develop. Um, and the longer we see of uh, sort of things not happening there and, uh, the 78 and these projects are, um, they're just still mostly on the drawing board. You know, the, the discovery partners Institute is, 
taking steps to move forward there at the 78 and there seems to be more traction there, but certainly we, that was the case, you know, a couple of years ago where it was like, Hey, these are the stories, Lincoln Yards, the 78, the, the redevelopment of the Michael Reese site, which is making project uh, progress now on the new infrastructure. Um, but you're right. It has been much more of a, it's just been quiet there. There's not much to, to say there. And I think that's kind of the other piece to this that is hanging over everything has just been the Johnson administration. I mean, now there's been, I mean, that happens, that's typical, and obviously you have turnover of, of, a, of a new mayor, but over the history of Chicago over the last 30, 40 years, there hasn't been too much, you know, mayoral turnover. When you think about how long Daly was in, in office, then Rahm, and it's important to remember that the commercial real estate industry was overwhelmingly in favor of Paul Vallis and that mayoral runoff, and so there's been a, some shockwaves, I think, through... Um, through the development world about, hey, what does this very progressive administration mean for us in terms of taxes, in terms of the attention that we get and the importance of development in the heart of the city, certainly. So some of those questions, I think, are still waiting to be answered. Well, I want to talk to you about hotels. That's been a conversation since kind of the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, one of the last conversations I think before it all became official in Chicago, Danny, that was with you. You and I were talking about um, tourism and conventions and the impact on hotels. And that recovery is still not 100%. And we've seen a couple of hotels kind of have question marks about ownership and things like that. Talk about that if you would. Yeah. So, you know, the the tourism numbers, if you just look at uh, visitation in Chicago, 2022, we were about 80% of the way to where we were back in 2019. A lot of it from leisure travel. You know, the business travel has been slower to come back, and that's really been the story for more than a year now of that being the case. Uh, so I think for hotels in the city, the numbers have come back in a nice way. If you look at uh, revenue per available room, which is a kind of the, the, the metric that a lot of hotel owners look to to measure how they're doing, that is now back to uh, 2019 levels. If you If you factor in inflation, it's still a little behind, but... Certainly, uh, the money that hotels are bringing in from from patrons now is, is really uh, is much stronger. And so you actually have had now throughout the year a lot of hotels that went on the market and owners said, okay, hey, we got a story to tell now because demand is back and you know we're seeing people, a little bit of business travel, but we're really seeing that revenge, leisure travel that uh, that we didn't have during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, the, the other side of the coin for hotel owners is that their expenses are up. Uh, you know, the cost of labor is much higher and, you know, the cost of materials and goods and things that they have are, are higher. So not as profitable in the hotel sector, but you also haven't had, you know, new supply. So I think that, you know, that was one of the concerns well before the pandemic that we were talking about. Hey, there's too many new hotels coming. Is, can the demand keep up? And now it's sort of, can the demand come back? It seems to be doing so. It's, it's you know, hotels, remember, were the... That was the asset class that right in the, the beginning of the pandemic just got crushed. I mean, it was demand goes from demand goes to zero immediately and, and for a long time. So we saw a lot of the distress there and the hotel distress has really moved on. It's just not as, as frequent as much anymore. So the hotel sector, I would just you know characterize it as it's um, made a lot of progress in its recovery and it's not yet there, but but getting close. Whereas, you know, that's really a different story when you think about the office stuff we talked about, you know, where there's this kind of lingering question of demand for office and how it's going to be used in the future. You know, certainly hotels are still places people want to stay to have a Chicago experience. And then talk to me about the West Loop. Rachel, you recently reported how a developer has paid 
what, 128 million for West Loop apartments. And it feels like there's the Chicago story and then there's the West Loop story that's kind of been on its own timeline and it doing its own thing. How has the how has the West Loop looked in 2023? And what are you seeing as we head into 2024 that we might keep looking at? I think the downtown Chicago apartment market is really interesting because there's not just one single story. There's each neighborhood or submarket kind of has its own trajectory and things that are happening. Um, the West Loop has definitely been on an upward trajectory, you know, since, um, you know, being this former meatpacking district to, um, I think, in 2019 when they allowed there to be residential development. That was when a lot of um, developers really started wanting to, you know, get in on that, add those apartment buildings to the pipeline, as well as the office buildings that are being built there right now. So I think I'd expect that to continue yeah. next year. And so let's take a big look ahead. Obviously, I'm asking you to kind of read the tea leaves, but but heading into 2024, what are the big issues that seem like like um, that will be maybe headwinds or advantages for for people and stakeholders in the commercial real estate space for the year ahead? I know that people will definitely be watching the Federal Reserve, whether they'll lower interest rates. I think that's kind of a big one that a lot of investors are watching and hoping for. No question. That's the the top thing that's going to really affect a lot of the thinking that we see from investors um, and transactions, leases, things that, that are happening or not happening, Some whether that's going to affect some of the distress the other thing that's coming up for at least for downtown is that uh, Cook County Assessor Fritz Kagey is about to reassess all the downtown properties again in 2024. So a lot of eyes on that. Certainly that's been one of the topics of conversation for several years now. But there's a lot at stake when you think about how the last time that Kagey did downtown, there was still not a lot of clarity about kind of the long term impact. It was 2021. So the long term impact of COVID on the office market, you know, still, okay, how long is this going to last? Is this, you know, is office demand going to come back? You know, now it's unequivocal that you see so many of these big office buildings that are worth dramatically less than they were before. And, you know, we had some reporting that that Greg Hines had done from the Mansueto Institute down at UFC where they were trying to project, okay, what happens to everyone else's tax bills, the homeowners, the residents of Chicago, if all this commercial property is worth, let's say, 20% less, 30% less, 40 collectively together. And it, it's meaningful. I mean, it, you know, remember how this whole crazy Cook County assessment and property tax system works, where it's like, it's this zero-sum game. So if we see Kagi bring commercial properties down quite a bit, which there's not any guarantee he will, but certainly they could get brought down on, on appeals, and if we don't see residential assessments come down to the at the same degree, well, then more of the tax burden gets uh, shifted onto homeowners. So that's a big thing, I think, that uh, we're going to see later. Certainly, the results of that later in 2024. But this is this is a year that people are going to have that in the back of their mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then talk to me about properties that you'll be keeping an eye on in the year ahead. The ones that come top of mind for me. There seems like a, a bulk of entertainment-based stuff, right? The casino, Soldier Field, United Center. Danny, you and I have talked so much about, about Soldier Field and, and plans for around the United Center. But then also the Thompson Center. There's another space that uh, has a lot of, I think, a lot of eyeballs on it. What properties stand out to the two of you for the year ahead to, that'll be ones to watch? Definitely the Thompson Center, as far as um, laying the groundwork for a fight between the assessor and the landlord, um, just with that property being as assessed for, I think, twice as much as what it um, previously sold for. Yeah. And, and on that point, too, I mean, it's, it you know, remember, the, the big thing with the Thompson Center is just about 
Google coming in and you know, they finally recently said, Hey, this is going to start, we're gonna start seeing some work there and early in the year. So, um, that's still, you know, pushed off till 2026, but the belief that Google is really doing this, cause there's still been maybe some skepticism out there, uh, this year, that's a big deal for the revitalization of the loop. You know, it's, it's not just for, Hey, our other company is going to want to be in the loop again because Google is there and it's more, it's also, it's the retail portion. I mean, look at how much retail vacancy there is, um, not just on sort of the high profile streets like the Mag Mile and State Street, but just walking around the central loop. And once there are Googlers, hundreds, maybe thousands of Googlers that are in the middle of the loop uh, on, on a daily basis or close to a daily basis, that's something that finally, I think, um, you know, retailers can get their heads around to be in the loop. And that's when you really talk about the vitality of the central business district starting to come back. So Thompson Center is huge. I mean, you mentioned, Amy, that, you know, the, the casino, will we see some steps uh, that Bally's takes toward actually building this new hotel and casino entertainment complex along the river? That's one of those things that is, it's a tough thing to, to get construction loans for anything, let alone a massive uh, entertainment complex like that. Uh, so will we see some movement there? And yeah, the Bears, you know. Who knows? <laughs> that's just, again, as I think I said that, like last time I was on, right? It's like anyone who loves the rumor mill, which is a lot of NFL fans, of course, there's going to be a lot more to come, a lot of chatter around, you know, what happens with Soldier Field and Arlington Heights and, you know, what what the Bears are thinking and how they're trying to get some leverage going there. So, so those are big, big pieces to it. I do think another thing to watch in 2024 is these suburban mall redevelopments that are happening, um, just with the owners of those properties trying to kind of breathe new life into those with bringing in a new tenant mix. I know that Old Orchard in Skokie has done that. Um, And then Northbrook Court is going to be working on their um, master plan to bring apartments to one of those big box department stores that's now vacant. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. Malls, of course, right? Because they were already going a direction and the pandemic seems like it really accelerated that timeline. But I think it's been interesting to see some of the creative thinking around like reimagining what a mall space could be of like adding residential and stuff like that. I think that's interesting and that will be uh, a thing to watch. Well, thank you both very much. We will, I'm sure, talk about all of these things and plenty more in the year ahead, but thanks so much and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Happy New Year. Coming up, an investor has paid $30 million for the retail portion of Marina City Towers. We'll talk about that and more right after this. You are the one who can help end hunger. The Greater Chicago Food Depository is working to meet the need, but the cost of food remains high, and many of your neighbors are struggling to afford groceries. Children are at greatest risk, with one in four facing hunger. Your neighbors are counting on you. Families, seniors on fixed incomes, veterans, you are the one who can help them. Give what you can. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, chicagosfoodbank.org. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. A Southern Illinois federal judge officially declined to issue an injunction to delay the January 1st registration requirement under the state's assault weapons ban. 
Capitol News Illinois reported that U.S. District Judge Stephen McGlynn issued the 34-page order on Friday and also reported that gun rights advocates requested an emergency injunction to halt the registration of guns and accessories covered in the legislation known as the Protect Illinois Communities Act, or PICA, as a condition of continued possession. The gun groups argued the requirements were unconstitutional under the Second and Fourteenth Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Lawyers for the federal firearms licensees of Illinois, gun rights advocates, gun dealers, and three individual gun owners argued that the rules governing the registration of already owned assault weapons are vague and that the state failed to give proper notice to the owners of those weapons. Capitol News noted in reporting that the Illinois Attorney General's office asked the court to dismiss the due process claims. In officially declining to issue an injunction, the judge wrote, quote, This court will expeditiously conduct a full review of the legal challenges to PICA on the merits. His statement continued, quote, This also points toward foregoing further preliminary wrangling and going straight to an exhaustive review of PICA and the emergency rules on the merits. The judge's statement continued further, quote, Additionally, Illinois FOID cardholders' level of compliance with the registration scheme will be discernible within mere days. Capitol News also noted that at a December 12th hearing, McGlynn had foreshadowed that he might decline to issue an injunction. During the hearing, Sean Brady, an attorney for the plaintiffs, argued that the Illinois State Police Agency was still seeking to modify the registration rules in mid-December, underscoring the need for an injunction to halt implementation before the January 1st deadline. Assistant Attorney General Christopher Wells countered that enacting the entire statute should not be delayed due to what he described as the inevitable questions that will follow. In April, Judge McGlynn issued a separate injunction blocking enforcement of the ban and declaring it unlikely to be found constitutional. Two previous attempts to block the law in northern Illinois courts were also unsuccessful. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago overturned McGlynn's ruling in June. Earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court declined a request for a full review of a November ruling by the three-judge panel that upheld the gun ban. Jenny Wang Bennett, who logged some successes against economic headwinds as the city's chief financial officer under Mayor Lori Lightfoot, has taken a lower-profile job as associate vice president for finance at the University of Chicago. Crane Steven Strahler reported that credit ratings on the city's general obligation bonds and other debt were upgraded a year ago for the first time since the mid-2010s, spurred by belt-tightening measures including improved pension funding commitments and by pandemic-related federal aid. The city ended 2022 with a surplus of $307 million plus $416.5 million in unspent funds from some $2 billion the city received from the American Rescue Plan Act. Mayor Brandon Johnson's administration, however, has projected deficits of between $789 million and $1.9 billion, depending on the economy's course by 2026. At City Hall, Bennett backed revenue-enhancing initiatives like the recently opened casino and sale of city water to Joliet. At the same time, she was wary of new taxes on business and spending COVID relief money too quickly. Last year, Moody's raised its ratings on the city's general obligation debt from the junk level it had maintained since 2015. Strahler noted that at the University of Chicago, Bennett will see some familiar faces. The university's chief financial officer, Ivan Samstein, is a former Cook County CFO who worked in municipal finance at Wall Street firms and as a rating analyst for Moody's Investor Service. Jack Broffman joined the university's finance office in 2023 after serving as deputy CFO under Bennett at the city. 
Crane's John Pletz reported that City Hall veteran Tom Carney has been named commissioner of the Chicago Department of Transportation, one of three agency leaders announced Friday by Mayor Brandon Johnson. Carney, who has been acting CDOT commissioner since August, previously was first deputy commissioner. Pletz noted that the appointment will satisfy some on the city council who expressed their hope that Carney would stay in the position when he defended the department's spending during the annual budget briefings in the fall. As one of the city's largest agencies, CDOT takes care of the city's streets and major infrastructure projects and has a proposed budget of nearly $1.8 billion and 1,300 workers. Pletz also reported that Alfonso Randy Connor has been named to lead the Department of Water Management. He's also a City Hall veteran who was Water Department Commissioner from 2017 to 2020 and previously held senior positions in Transportation and Streets and Sanitation Departments. He replaces Andrea Chang, another longtime agency veteran who was appointed by former Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Further, Pletz also reported that Sandra Blakemore was named commissioner of the Department of Human Resources. Blakemore, a former director at ConAgra Brands, is currently commissioner of the Department of Assets, Information, and Services. A California real estate investor with a growing Chicago portfolio has paid $30 million for the retail portion of the iconic Marina City Towers on the Chicago River. Rachel Herzog reported, citing sources familiar with the transaction who spoke with Cranes, that Spiri Equities bought the 146,000-square-foot space, along with two parking facilities totaling 900 spaces, from Bethesda, Maryland-based Pebblebrook Hotel Trust. Pebblebrook put the spaces on the market in May, along with the 354-room Hotel Chicago at 333 North Dearborn. Pebblebrook CFO Raymond Martz declined to confirm the buyer but said it made sense for the hotel-focused investor to sell off the retail portion. The company also sold off the retail portion of the Weston Michigan Avenue Chicago in March and put the hotel itself, its only other Chicago property, on the market in October. Herzog reported that Pebblebrook took ownership of the hotel and retail space in 2018, along with the Weston Michigan Avenue property, when the firm acquired real estate investment trust LaSalle Hotel Properties in a $5.2 billion deal. Irvine, California-based Speary has a long-standing presence in the Chicago suburbs, where it was busy buying retail properties during the COVID-19 pandemic. The company recently paid $9 million for a shopping center in Aurora and picked up retail properties in Bolingbrook, Orland Park, and Glenview over the last couple of years. That's Crane's Daily Just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporters Danny Ecker and Rachel Herzog. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. Want to dive deeper into the topics you've heard here? Read the full stories and get access to all of Crane's award-winning coverage with a Crane's Chicago Business subscription. Crane's Daily Gist listeners can get 20% off a one-year Crane's Chicago Business digital subscription by visiting chicagobusiness.com gist and using promo code gist at checkout. Once again, to redeem this offer, visit chicagobusiness.com gist and enter code gist to get this deal while it lasts.